With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. You're listening to or watching the Joseph Benami Show. I am your host, Joseph Benami. Thanks for joining. So many things, so many things that I want to talk about tonight. But how can I not start the show at least, at least start by getting back into the whole Donald Trump circus? Today in New York City, Donald Trump was arraigned. He was in Florida, flew to New York, I believe last night, turned himself in this morning or sometime early afternoon, uh, and and uh, was arraigned on, get this, ladies and gentlemen, 34 felony charges. 34 felony charges. There are so many charges here, uh, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, and and some of them are read as, as really redundant. I, I'm not going to get into a whole examination of the whole case. Suffice to say that this this doesn't just look like political maneuvering in an attempt to keep Donald Trump from running for president in 2024. It smells to high heaven like that to start with. Okay. No question about it. But 34? It's embarrassing. Now, for those of us who live outside of the United States, you know, we hear the term felony a lot. So I think it's important for us to just quickly define what exactly a felony is. So a felony is traditionally, at least in the United States, considered a serious crime as opposed to a misdemeanor. Now, we've all heard the term misdemeanor, and uh, there's nothing particularly mysterious about it. A misdemeanor is considered to be a, a less serious crime, whereas a felony, here in Canada, we call that a, an indictable offense. 
in the United States, they call it a felony. It's a serious crime. Murder would be a felony. Shoplifting, I'm not sure. It probably depends on how much the value of what you shoplifted was. If you take a chocolate bar from a local store, and of course, that's as wrong as any other stealing is, but from a legal perspective, it probably isn't a felony. The judge would probably look at that if you were caught and charged and say, uh, why are you bringing this eight-year-old boy before me on a felony charge of, of theft? So that's really the difference. The difference is that felonies are considered to be violent, serious crimes. A misdemeanor could be just as wrong as any other charge, any other crime that's been committed, but in law, it's not something that is considered to be so serious. If you committed a felony and you're found guilty, you can expect to do jail time, real jail time. If you've committed a, a misdemeanor and you're found guilty, if you find yourself in jail, and that's a big if, not so long. You won't be in jail for such a long period of time. So the punishment, other than the fact that you still have some sort of a criminal record, and that's going to hang around with you for a very long time for the rest of your life in most circumstances, but the reality is that if you're charged and convicted of a misdemeanor, it's not that big a deal. Other I said, other than, as I said, having that record attached to you for the rest of your life, whatever the consequences of that are. So 34 felony counts, and they're all, they're all relating to this hush money business. The idea that Donald Trump paid or instructed his attorneys to pay Stormy Daniels a certain amount of money in order to have her not disclose something that was embarrassment. Now, I don't know whether Stormy Daniels is telling the truth or not. Um, My understanding is that she's changed her story a couple of times. Uh, But, you know, this was not something that that she suddenly came forward and said, you know, I'm going to speak to the media or whatever about it. Uh, The fact is that she had already given interviews uh, uh, quite a few years before the election Uh, And it wasn't until later on that the story broke, but she was not the one that broke it. All she did was she signed a non-disclosure agreement. It happens all of the time. I don't know whether or not Donald Trump is guilty of having had that extramarital affair. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. None of that matters, ladies and gentlemen. But what I... (sighs) What's leaving me almost speechless is the unmitigated gall of a Democratic, an elected Democrat district attorney pushing full steam on this, notwithstanding the fact that this stuff has already been investigated by the Federal Election Commission and no crime was alleged here. They decided there's nothing to prosecute. Along comes this political hack. And and he pushes forward, pushes, 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 finally gets a grand jury to return a true bill of indictment, uh, and we're off to the races. Now, when I say what's leaving me almost speechless, and by the way, in case you hadn't noticed, it takes a lot to leave me speechless, and 
it's just a figure of speech when I say I'm speechless because I'm really not. But what leaves me wanting to be speechless, if you will, having that temptation to go, ah, uh, and have my mouth just sort of agape with the, uh, as I say, the unmitigated gall of all of this, and that is that the allegations come from the idea that Donald Trump paid Stormy Daniels to keep quiet in a manner that was intended to defraud the electoral, the, uh, the, the voters in the United States and influence the election. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to wrap your mind around that, that single observation, that accusation that Donald Trump, whether he did or he didn't have the intent of influencing the election by keeping information quiet, okay, I don't know whether or not he did that for that reason. I don't know whether that was the reason why he uh, paid Stormy Daniels off. And by the way, for those of you who are interested, it's, it's, it's worth noting that Donald Trump already said, yeah, we paid her off. There's a question of, did he give instructions explicitly to his attorneys to make the payment or whatever? But he's not denying that the payment was made. That's not what's happening here. So a payment was made. The former president agrees, admits that a payment was made. Uh, the person who was alleged to have made the payment, Michael Cohen, uh, has admitted that it happened. So I'm just trying to wrap my mind around all of this. Where is the crime? Is the crime that this was paid, this hush money was paid, simply to defraud the American voters, to influence the outcome of the election? This is where this, as I say, unmitigated gall comes in. I ask you this, ladies and gentlemen, if Donald Trump is guilty of defrauding the American public, of paying somebody to keep quiet because he was concerned that that information might influence the outcome of the general election in 2016, if Donald Trump is guilty of that, then I ask you this, ladies and gentlemen, what is Twitter guilty of for suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020? Isn't that the same thing? Oh, maybe money didn't pass hands. But then again, maybe money did pass hands, and we just don't know because it's been carefully hidden. It's too complicated. Nobody's spending four years digging deeply into the uh, uh, financial arrangements between Joe Biden and the Biden family and Twitter, or Facebook for that matter. So surely to goodness, if Donald Trump has committed a crime here, Surely to goodness, everybody that covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story that broke shortly before the election in 2020, surely to goodness, everybody that was involved in all of the decisions around that are as guilty because those decisions were made almost, almost incontrovertibly, undeniably in order to influence the outcome of the election, or more precisely, in order to prevent 
the story from influencing the outcome of the election. So you might say, well, no money changed hands. I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that there was no quid pro quo for that. And you might, or you might come back and you might say, oh yeah, but, but Twitter didn't suppress that story because it wanted to help or the executives wanted to help Joe Biden get elected as president in 2020. Twitter suppressed that story on the grounds that they believed sincerely that the story was false. Now, that's a different question entirely. That's a different issue entirely. Maybe they did believe it was false. Maybe they believed that sincerely. I don't know how you prove that, but I I suppose if it came down to it being a legal case, I suppose that would be one of the... uh, one of the defenses, and in my judgment, and I'm not acting as a lawyer here, but in my humble opinion, that would be a very strong defense. But again, it just raises important questions. Why, why can't Donald Trump pay Stormy Daniels a certain amount of money in order to make her go away? I have news for you, ladies and gentlemen. It happens all of the time. A successful business person, a media personality, whether he had the affair or he didn't have the affair is beside the point. He might just look at this and go, $100,000, $130,000. It's really not that much money. To me, I'm Donald Trump after all. I don't want the aggravation. I don't want the headache. Pay her off. Get her to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And that's the end of it. So again, I, I'm just I'm just having a lot of trouble seeing where there's a crime. And when you have this much trouble seeing where there's a crime, then you're left with the inescapable conclusion that this has got to be politically motivated. Now I know what you're saying out there. If you're a Trump supporter, you're going, Ben I mean, come on, man. Of course it is politically motivated. We all know that we've been saying it all along. When did you wake up? Well, okay. You can make that accusation against me. But I like to take things one step at a time. I don't I don't really trust anyone anymore when it comes to this stuff. I'm a skeptic. I am a an equal opportunity skeptic. There's just so much stuff flying around out there that is not necessarily accurate on both sides of the political equation. And so I'm just, I've just become a skeptic with everything. Let's take a break. We'll be back in two minutes here on the Joseph Benemy show. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There is just a feeling that this might be right for us. For you and me. And we are back. Thanks for joining. I'm Joseph Benamy. You are tuned into the Joseph Benamy Show for Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. Okay, so we've spent the first 15 minutes of the show tonight talking about Donald Trump. Uh, and for those of you who are sticking with me, and I almost hate to say this because we are on live, uh, and I believe that the former president is going to be making his remarks subsequent to his arraignment in New York earlier today, live as well. So if you're sticking with me, I really do appreciate that. Um, uh, if you're not sticking with me, I'm sorry to see you go. In any event, we live in the time when you can always watch, re-watch this show on YouTube, or you can catch the president's remarks on YouTube afterwards as well. So you don't actually have to miss anything. You're just missing whatever's going on live. Look, I've tried for quite some time now to avoid, whenever I can, focusing on Donald Trump and the whole Trump fiasco, the whole Trump circus. And let me emphasize, when I call it the Trump circus, I'm not pointing the finger at Donald Trump. I'm just saying that the way that the whole Donald Trump affair or affairs, I should use the plural here, have been handled, is circus-like. So I can't blame Donald Trump when I look at the circus-like environment around him. Some of it is his own creation, and I suspect that Donald Trump himself would probably laughingly agree with that particular assessment. But a lot of this has nothing to do with him. It's just stuff that people have lumped down on top of him tossed down on uh, on top of him. Uh, and I, I kind of think he, he enjoys it a little bit. But, you know, that's his character. He's a bombastic guy, a bit of a blowhard. Um, that's, that's, how he, that's how he runs. Okay, and, and it's worked for him. So as I say, I have, over the course of the last few years on this show and on uh, other shows that I'm involved with, I've kind of tried to avoid the whole Donald Trump trap. So why am I why am I exercised about it right now? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I alluded to this last night, and I want to go into this in a little bit more detail tonight, and that is the role that the United States plays in the world. 
Now, Americans, some may not like what I have to say when I say they are or have been, certainly in the last 40 years, 30 years, the world's only true superpower. And I, as I mentioned last night, I'm not blind. I see and understand that Americans are not perfect. I'm not perfect. Canadians are not perfect. None of us are perfect. Politics is about people, and people are fallible. They're imperfect. And so you're never going to have perfect politics. You're never going to have perfect politicians. It's, it's never going to happen. And the United States is just like that as well. And the leaders in the United States are just like that as well. But whether by design or by accident, the Americans, you Americans, I'm speaking to you now as an outsider looking in, as a friend, whether you like it or not, whether it's by design or by accident, the truth is, my friends, that you are the world leader in so many areas. And that is a tremendous responsibility. You may not like it. You may not have asked for it, but it's true. A lot of people outside the United States won't like what I'm saying here either. A lot of people here in Canada, where I'm broadcasting from, won't like the fact that I'm making this observation. But it's true. You're the big kid on the block. And being the big kid on the block, being the older brother, comes with certain responsibilities. My friends, we are living in extremely dangerous times. You know, I teach once a week a class in Canadian history for homeschoolers. I do it online. And over the past two weeks, we've been talking about World War I. And one of the points that I really wanted to drill home to the students that I teach was how this seemingly minor, innocuous event in the Balkan city of Sarajevo, the assassination of the heir to the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, how that one event came to be known as the shot heard around the world, long before the Kennedy aficionados hijacked that phrase and made it all about John F. Kennedy and Camelot and if only Kennedy had, had, had lived, long before the Kennedy crowd took it over. The shot heard around the world was the assassination of the heir to the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1914. That one event was the first domino that got knocked over that eventually led to the carnage of World War I and the upheaval that ensued as a consequence of World War I. Royal families falling, empires falling, redrawing of the political maps in the Middle East, redrawing of the map in Europe in many instances. And all of that, ladies and gentlemen, led directly to the Second World War. Now, there were other complicating factors, but without a First World War, you don't have a Second World War. And I'm not just talking about the nominal, the nomenclature here. We live in extremely dangerous times, and nobody knows where things are going to go. We have the war in Eastern Europe between Russia and the Ukraine. This week, 
Finland is officially joining the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. Much of the fighting, much of the provocation, if you want to use that term, that led to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and I'm not excusing the Russians, but much of the provocation was all of the talk about the Ukraine joining NATO. And Sweden is still considering joining NATO. That's still up in the air. Poland is part of NATO now. Uh, and and so, so we have this conflict between the Russians and the Ukrainians. And even though we are not directly involved in terms of sending troops, all of the Western countries are involved in pushing back against the Russians, both militarily by sending military supplies to the Ukraine, but just as importantly, if not more so, economically, by doing whatever we can do to paralyze the Russian economy, to hurt them economically, to punish them for their wrongdoing. And again, I'm using that term because what the Russians did and have been doing in the Ukraine is wrong. I'm not a big friend and a big fan of the Ukraine, but what the Russians did was wrong. But did we really think, ladies and gentlemen, that you could take the kind of action that we had been taking, sanctions, blocking fuel deliveries from Russia to Western Europe, all of the action that we've taken, ladies and gentlemen, to drive down the price of the ruble, the value of the ruble, in addition to the military and diplomatic efforts that we've been putting in. Is there anyone out there that really believed that that the Russians wouldn't push back? Is there anyone out there who truly believes that the Russians wouldn't do what they consider to be in their self-interest in countering these moves? So what are the, some of the things that the Russians are doing in order to push back? Well, we know now that the Russians are talking about, at least talking, if they haven't done it already, they're talking about stationing battlefield tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. Belarus is an ally of Russia, and it also borders Ukraine. Now, do they intend to use tactical nuclear weapons in this war? I don't know. I suppose if I was a betting man, I'd bet not. But we don't know. So they're upping the ante. And there's been some rhetoric already in the last few days about not just tactical nuclear weapons, which are small nuclear devices designed to be used on the battlefield, as opposed to strategic nuclear weapons, which are designed to be fired to the other side of the planet in order to destroy whole cities of your military and political opponents. Are the Russians mad enough to do such a thing? I doubt it, but they certainly are upping the ante. But what they're also doing is forming a partnership with China. And let's not forget that we in the West, in particular in the United States, have been putting pressure on China as well. Economic pressure, sanctions, doing all kinds of things to undermine the Chinese economy in an effort to pressure them to provide concessions. And this has been predominantly an American activity. And 
it's been largely in response to the kind of uh, muscle flexing that we've seen over the past number of years recently in Southeast Asia by the Chinese. It's not just the Americans that are concerned about it. We are concerned as well here in Canada, but the Japanese are concerned because this is right in their backyard. New Zealand, Australia, also very concerned because all of this is in their backyard. So we've been taking economic measures in particular against the Chinese as well. We're going to have to go for a break. Stay with us because we are going somewhere here. I'm not just rambling blindly. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes here on the Joseph Benemy Show. Don't go away. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us or joining. If you're just joining in, I'm Joseph Benamy. You are tuned in to the Joseph Benamy show for April 4th, 2023. Okay. So we've been talking, we started talking about Donald Trump and we were talking about the indictments, plural, many, uh, unbelievably how, uh, unbelievable how many indictments, felony indictments, uh, uh, he, uh, answered to today, not guilty on all charges. Of course, he pled. Uh, and uh, I want to especially thank you if you've stuck with the show because we're actually competing with Donald Trump right now. I believe, at least I, I haven't checked my other monitors here, but I know he was supposed to speak live at uh, quarter past eight tonight. So that's, you know, in the middle of our show. Um, uh, so if you're sticking with me, showing the loyalty, uh, I appreciate it. I really do. So we were talking about Donald Trump, and then we moved on to the question of why am I focusing on this tonight? Why did I talk about this last night? I scratched the surface of the why last night, and I, I want to get into it a little bit more. So just before the break, we were discussing um, how dangerous the world has become. And in particular, we were talking about the actions that the Western allies, let's use that term, have taken against Russia uh, in the uh, as a consequence of their invasion of the Ukraine. Military action, we don't have boots on the ground per se in the Ukraine, but we have been providing them with a whole lot of financial support in addition to actual military hardware. And one has to ask the question, as I did before the break, just to reiterate it, is there anyone out there that really believed that the Russians would not push back eventually. And then I described a little bit of how we've been trying to, for want of a better way of expressing it, ruin the Russian economy, to weaken the Russian economy as punishment for what they are doing in Ukraine. And all of these measures, I guess, to a certain degree, I'm sympathetic that we are doing this, I, I get it, but context is everything. And we're doing the same thing now against the Chinese. We are 
increasing our military presence in the Chinese region of the world, Southeast Pacific, strengthening military and intelligence ties with the democratic nations in that region, particularly Australia, New Zealand, Japan. And while we are not necessarily directly involved in some of these things as Canadians, that certainly has been what our allies have been doing. And when it comes to China, in response to their growing military presence, their increasing aggressiveness in that part of the world, in response to that, we've been putting economic pressure on them as well. So is anyone really surprised that the Russians and the Chinese have reached across that whole wide expanse known as Siberia to grasp hands, to shake hands, to become friends again, in order to counter the bad influence of those Americans. I'm not surprised. I could have foreseen this, and I did. And many of you out there who are listeners to this show figured that out as well. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. Okay. So when I talk about the world being a dangerous place, I'm not just talking about military issues. I'm also talking about, and in fact, predominantly talking about right now, what's happening on the world currency market. The Chinese have been dumping American dollars now for some time. Now, let's remember what the implications of that are. We all know that international trade is conducted predominantly in U.S. dollars. If I'm in Canada and I'm ordering a shipment of bed frames from Bangladesh, I'm just inventing that, by the way, just to illustrate the point, I'm not paying them in Bangladeshi currency. I'm not paying that in Canadian currency. I'm paying for those products in American dollars because the United States is the world's international trading currency. And it's the reserve currency for many, many countries around the world. At least, at least, ladies and gentlemen, it has been. But in recent, not just recent months or even recent weeks, even in recent days, there have been major moves now that have been in the works obviously for some time because these are decisions that are not made overnight. They're not made on the spur of the moment. They're not taken simply. So India, one of the largest economies, one of the largest countries population-wise in the world, has decided that it's going to start buying its oil from wherever it buys the oil and paying for it in rubles. Russian currency, that's a huge boost to the ruble. It's a huge, huge knock on the American dollar. But just as importantly, ladies and gentlemen, just as importantly, it's, it's a, a almost, I won't say it's a declaration of war, but, but what, what, it, what it is, it's a public, profound repudiation of the United States by a key democracy. It's an abandonment of the United States. 
And it's not just, my friends, it's, it's not just India. There's a constellation of countries that are coming together now in order to form what looks like it could be an alternative international currency to replace the U.S. dollar for international trade. Who are these countries? Well, for sure, we know it's Russia. And we already figured out that it's China. So Russia and China, no surprises there. India? Some people may be surprised that India has decided to join this particular group. Brazil? Brazil as well. South Africa? These countries are working on a common currency in an attempt to ditch the U.S. dollar as the international currency of trade, the currency of international trade. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, my friends, this is a serious problem in terms of the value of the U.S. dollar. And for us here in Canada, our Canadian dollar is largely, not perfectly pegged to the U.S. dollar, but largely pegged to the U.S. dollar. As the American economy goes, so goes the Canadian economy. And so goes, for that matter, the Mexican economy. So, as the value of the U.S. dollar goes down, so too will the value of the Canadian dollar. And all of those goods and services that we purchase overseas that we heretofore have been paying for with the American dollar, all of a sudden, we could still buy them with American dollars, but the dollar that we're going to be using is going to be severely devalued. So that's going to contribute significantly to inflation. It's a serious problem, my friends. But the real issue for me, the real issue for me is that the Americans have allowed this to happen. These kinds of consequences, the kinds of responses that I've just described, and I'm only scratching the surface, by the way, but the consequences that I've described are foreseeable. They were foreseeable. And I cannot shake the very strong suspicion that the U.S. administration has been so focused on getting Trump that senior officials in the United States have largely not paid close attention to this. And that's assuming, my friends, that's assuming, and it's a big assumption on my part, that U.S. officials, the people who are in charge of making sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen, are actually competent. They're competent when it comes to international finance. They're competent when it comes to international diplomacy. That whole area I have grave concerns over. So we're going to take another break, last break of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Stick with us. A little bit of doom and gloom, I admit it, but these are important topics for us to discuss and to uh, to try to sort out in our minds and make some sense of. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes here on the Joseph Benemy Show.
So why is this BRICS currency move so important? I've already mentioned that it's going to have severe implications potentially for the value of the American dollar, and that's going to affect the U.S. economy negatively, obviously, but it's also going to affect us here in Canada negatively as well because the value of the Canadian dollar is very closely tied to the value of the American dollar. Not perfectly paid, but very close to it. So there are going to be financial implications if, in fact, this works. And irrespective of whether or not this new international currency is going to take effect, what we're seeing here is the development of a constellation of countries some of whom are close to the United States. We're talking about South Africa, Brazil, maybe not so much. India, well, India goes its own way, but I would say that for the most part, we've considered India to be, even though it's officially quote-unquote non-aligned, I would say that since the end of the Cold War, it's been India's been much more closely aligned with those of us in the West. So, so we have the Russians saber-rattling in Eastern Europe. Significantly more, there's always an escalating rhetoric coming out of the Russians. We have saber-rattling on the part of the Chinese in Eastern Asia and all of the implications uh, surrounding their growing aggressiveness, their growing assertiveness, if you want to use a more polite term, militarily in that part of the world. So we have that going on. We have the effort by the Russians, I think, and the Chinese together to bring together a constellation of countries to undermine the strength of the U.S. dollar. And that, my friends, is a direct attack on the U.S. economy. Make no mistake about it. That is the purpose of doing that. It's to weaken the United States economy. That's why they're doing it. So we have a military challenge, we have a growing economic challenge, but diplomatically, ladies and gentlemen, and particularly when you consider the growing economic challenge, you cannot separate that from the diplomatic arena. So what has the American administration today been doing in order to stave off what appears to me to be a breaking apart of an international, not coalition, but consensus surrounding international relations, the role of the United States in being the leader of the free world. Again, maybe it's not something that Americans have asked for, but it's the reality. It's the reality. And there's no point in those of us outside of America whining and complaining about that. Canada is not going to take over the role of policemen in the world. Now, I know a lot of Americans that are not comfortable playing that role, but that's what happens when you're the world's largest economy, when you're the world's strongest military, and when you are a free country. That used to mean something, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how much it means now, but it used to mean something important. So you have this growing coalition of countries a coalescence, not around the United States and other free countries, 
liberal democracies, if I could use that term, but around countries like Russia and China. And that, my friends, is deeply disturbing. When we see countries like South Africa, okay, maybe not right at the top of the list when you think of liberal democracies, but South Africa, when you see um, India, when you see Brazil rushing to make friends with, uh, with the uh, growing partnership that has been created between the Russians and the Chinese, when you see this happening, and you know that this is going to be happening with smaller countries where the governments are taking a back seat, they're sitting back, they're relaxing, they're watching what's going on. What we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, right now is the tip of the iceberg. It's the beginning of what could be a profound realignment of the international order. And when we look at Russia and we look at communist China, as being the nucleus, if you will, forming the nucleus of this new international um, order, then, my friends, you should be losing sleep at night. If you're an American or if you're a Canadian, if you value your freedoms. Now, I'm constantly saying, am I not naive? I know we have issues here domestically in Canada and issues in the United States and issues in other Western countries domestically when it comes to the question of freedom and liberty and how we defend it and how our own governments have been acting in a way that is, if not unlawful, is certainly not consistent with our traditions of individual freedom. And I'm not dismissing those concerns. I think that they're very valid concerns and I think we need to address them. But, but, we're not addressing them either, ladies and gentlemen. And again, I'm going to point to the United States, and here we are coming full circle. We're coming back now to the whole Donald Trump circus and the fixation that Americans have with Donald Trump and everything going on around him, the media and politicians on both sides of the political spectrum in the United States. But mostly, if I had to offer an indictment, if I had to articulate an accusation against American leaders, I would have to lay it at the feet of the left. I would have to lay it at the feet of the people who are obsessing with stopping Donald Trump from running again, who are pursuing him relentlessly, mindlessly, fanatically, the way that we've seen here with this example of these 34 so-called felonies that he's been charged with today. It's a dereliction of duty, ladies and gentlemen. Not only have they brought the office of presidency into disrepute by continuing this relentless campaign against Trump, but they've taken their eye off the ball. I said this before, I said it on the Nick and Joe show on Sunday night, and I said it on my show last night. One of the great things that Gerald Ford did when he became the president of the United States after Richard Nixon resigned, one of the wonderful things he did was he pardoned Richard Nixon. And the reason he pardoned him was because he realized that irrespective of what crimes may have been committed around Watergate, trying to drag the ex-president 
into the criminal prosecution process as a result of those crimes, while it, on one hand, there may have been a strong case to be made in isolation from anything else, when you're the leader of the free world, when you're the leader of any country of substance, you have to consider things within the context that you're dealing with them. And the context at that time was that the country had been torn apart for quite some time and that it was time to turn the page and heal. And that could never have been accomplished if there had been indictments leveled against Richard Nixon. So Donald Trump is in the same position. I've said this before. I don't think that Mr. Trump was wise to take the action that he did, to to take the course that he did in so aggressively, so vociferously challenging the election, the results of the election in, in 2020. I, I disagreed with his tactics and his strategy, but I also disagree vehemently with the tactics and strategy of the Democrats. And I think that in the big scheme of things, I think that what they are doing here to Donald Trump is far, far worse than what Donald Trump may have done or may not have done. Let's remember, give him the benefit of the doubt. But the reason I'm saying that, my friends, is because the United States has an important role to play in maintaining peace, security, and stability around the world. And that is a responsibility that they have abdicated in their mad fixation on Donald Trump. Okay, tomorrow night, Wednesday, April the 5th, is the first night of the Jewish holiday festival of Passover. So, we are not going to have a show tomorrow night, unfortunately, and we will not have a show on Thursday night either. So, you'll have to join me again next Monday for the next edition of the Joseph Benami Show. In the meantime, feel free to check out the website www.josephbenemy.com, all one word without the hyphen, where you can check out all of the podcasts of our past shows. If you're a new listener or a new viewer, take the time to peruse. I think you'll be suitably impressed if I do say so myself. And with that, I'm going to leave you, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate all of your loyalty, and I appreciate all the comments that I get when you send me emails from the website. Happy Easter to all of my Christian friends. Happy Passover to all of my Jewish friends. And we will see you next Monday here on the Joseph Benemy Show. Thanks again. God bless.